Hi there, I'm Deb Crow, and I want to welcome you to season four of Imperfect, the heart-centered leadership podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with authentic and courageous leaders from all over the globe. You will learn from leaders you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolkit because leadership belongs to all of us. It is not measured by stature or title. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Imperfect Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. And I haven't said this. I've interviewed over 260 leaders around the globe And I think I met my twin, Christine Scott, and I have so much in common. We were, I was bantering back and forth before the record button. And I just feel that our listenership, Christine, which is in 65 countries, which we don't take lightly. We we love to be known, but we also love a nice level of obscurity, which we've been able to manage. And we're just going to have a fun conversation and highlight your leadership and have a little bit of fun at the end so people can get to know you outside of your identity within your role and and what you do. So I'm delighted you wanted to be on the show. And would you start off by just sharing with the listeners a little bit about who Christine Scott is? Sure. Thank you. Um, So I grew up in a small town. And for some reason, wanted to go into social services (laughs) and realized pretty quickly that I hated the scary stuff, the conflict. And I was hired by a shelter to be their program manager. And within the year that I started, we had a shooting of one of our shelter guests. Mm -hmm. And 75% of my staff team quit Mm -hmm. after that shooting. The shelter guests survived, but my team did not. And that sent me, that and my just absolute hatred of conflict (laughs) sent me on a quest because I saw how high the burnout was in my team. Even without these critical incidents, I just, people, people were carrying their jobs on their shoulders. Mm -hmm. And, And I just figured out, like, we have to do better we all have these great big hearts. We're drawn to doing good for others. Why can't we make these jobs last? Why can't we continue to, to like thrive in these positions? And, and so that started my, my journey of inquiry. Like, how do we handle conflict better? How do we handle crisis better? You know, it's interesting. I, I talk a lot on the show about my background and I was a neurotrauma case manager and, and I worked in the third party sector of insurance for auto insurance and disability claims for stress and sometimes long-term disability claims and landed up losing five executives to cancer, uh, Mm. which pushed me into the coaching world. But, you know, it's such a great conversation to talk about the emotional overdraft. And it seems to be this underlying repeat pattern that I've observed and witnessed and had so many conversations this year about why people in that sector work so hard. And there's a big sense that they're working that hard because they've never had a validated by anybody in their life. Mm. 
And that, yeah. that, that, that was one that stopped me in my tracks. And, and I think special people are drawn to work in that area, but yeah. it's hard work. And it leads me to my first leadership question. And I wrote a whole chapter in my book, the Heart Centered Leadership Playbook on leadership in the wake of tragedy. So yes. share with us where you went as a leader to even know where to start, what to do, and keep that intrinsic value in the forefront? Hmm. Oh, that's a good question. Um, well, first off, I realized I didn't know enough. I just did not know enough. So I started pulling in people who did. Um, here in the Seattle area, we have some folks who wrote a book called Organizational Trauma. And so I reached out to them and I said, you guys wrote a book on organizational trauma. I am the poster child. <laughs> can can you send some resources my way? So they sent me their brightest grad students and they made us their project. And what I learned was a lot of trauma was being echoed within the organization because it the organization itself wasn't set up to be trauma resilient. So if you are supervising people who are dealing with the same crisis that you're dealing with, guess what? your lens on that crisis is just going to echo all of the patterns and all of the hurt and all of the lack of validation, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, and so we started looking at how can we have people being supervised by folks who aren't on the floor with them? And what does that mean for us and how that is, is set up? And then the other thing we looked at is how can we really have people who are drawn to this work get validated for their compassion and mm -hmm. let that compassion have outlets because we were running a shelter for homeless young people, which meant you had to sometimes be rural Nazis. You had to come in and say, oh, no, your shower can't be longer than 10 minutes. Wow, I'm, I'm here to love up these young people who are living outside and now I'm enforcing shower lengths. Terrible. <laughs> so we started looking at how can we create roles that they only have to spend this much of their time doing these unpleasant tasks mm -hmm. and have these other outlets where we're doing yoga with them, where we're doing you know, the, the things that, that fill us up and feed us and nurture that, that compassionate side. That yeah, heart. I love that. That Yeah, that body, body, mind, spirit connection. I love that. Mm -hmm. Uh -huh. So my second question has permanent residency on the show. Yes. And I've asked over 260 leaders this question. Uh -huh. What imperfections does Christine bring to her heart-centered leadership? Well, I'm a bit of an idea nerd. I get an idea in my head. Oh, here's this lofty vision of the way humans should be with each other, right? I get this theory, this idea, this concept. And I get so in love with that that I forget to talk to the humans around me <laughs> and sell them on it. I'm just so busy creating that theory, that idea, and putting that structure together. And yeah, humans are not building blocks. And, and so that's the biggest imperfection I have as I look at the organizations I've led and how much sometimes I put the lofty ahead of the realistic and I, I finally got smart and started listening to the naysayers in the room and realizing, you know what, you guys are right. That doesn't mean my lofty idea is wrong. It just means that we need to go through some of the mud puddles first. 
before we get, you know, to the city on the hill. Absolutely. You talk about putting relationships over metrics, and I'm I'm a big proponent of inverting that fraction of uh, profit over people to people over profit. What are some what? of the strategies that you've observed and implemented in your role to make sure that that's always kind of the forefront of your leadership? Oh, well, I don't know if I'm the exactly right person to ask this of because I was running nonprofits, which, you know, by our nature, we're supposed to not put profit at the forefront. But what I learned, even in the nonprofit field, is the desires of the funders generally did trump the desires of the people we served because the people we served are not paying for their services, right? And and so what I learned to do is I had to get much better at informing and educating our funders. And so I basically started helping young people who had really powerful desires to be public speakers around, here's how you share your story and we're going to set up a funder tour and would you like to be our key speaker for our funder tour and doing things so that it's their voice that these funders are listening to. It's their voice that these funders are are really learning from. And that's very easy in an, an event. It's a little more complicated when you're dealing with like public funds and private donors, et cetera, et cetera. And it's it's interesting that you say that because I, I remember I was coaching a nonprofit and I remember I was dealing with um, the executive who handled all the large gifts And as they planned their annual dinner, which was one of their biggest events, I said to them, we need to do two things. We need to take the large donors on a tour of the children's hospital. So they have the intrinsic value of where those checks are going. Mm -hmm. And then we bring the researchers to the dinner to culminate the excitement of the research because now they've seen the outcome of who and there's that association to our own family, our own friends, our own relatives. And Mm -hmm. I remember them looking at me in, in such a dumbfounded way and then they did it and they were like, it worked. And I'm like, honoring your connection with people, show them where their dollars are going and, mm-hmm. and who isn't going to feel heartfelt and heart-centered and emotional visiting uh, a sick kid's hospital? It doesn't matter what city you're in. You're going to get the same effect and, and the same level of connection. Mm-hmm. And then the researchers, you know, come in with their analytical, logic, strategic plans at the dinner. And it's just matching. And it's so, and it's so interesting to me because I often hear, well, that's such common sense. Mm-hmm. Yes, but it's not your common practice. Like, it's, let's not convolute. Let's just put people to people, human to human. And I just find it fascinating. Whether it's not not for profit or profit, I still find sometimes there's these convoluted conversations. Yes, yes. Now, we joked before we hit record, you like to use humor and a little bit of candor to handle difficult topics. Share with us when you integrated that into your leadership and how it's helped you sustain being a heart-centered leader. Well, you know, a lot of times, like right now, most of my clients are hiring me because they have these difficult conversations that are happening on a daily level. 
So for example, if you're a retail establishment and people are shoplifting, you have to have this difficult conversation around, <laughs> hey, there's this item in your pocket, right? And, and so what I do is I insert a little humor and I just say, oh, wow, that is such a great snow globe you picked out. Would you like me to hold that for you up front or would you like a shopping basket? Which, which do you prefer? Right. And everybody sees the humor of that because it's, it's, it's clear that this person who's trying to shoplift <laughs> knows that you're onto them. And they, at, at this point, have, have an option to make us like if they're going to ignore you and then you have to call security. And yes, that's OK. But what I really encourage people to do is like lean in with your heart first and assume the best. Yes. Until they, until they prove otherwise, you just don't know. Well, and that's the thing. People don't know what they don't know. And I look at my own city in Canada and we have so many things going on globally in the world that aren't happy and heart-centered. We have families, double-income families, now using the food bank in my city. We have 6,000 families a month. They don't choose. That's not part of their their makeup and their dream and, and goals for their family. So I love that soft imagery of just a redirect and a reframe to kind of say in a heart-centered way with candor and humor, you've picked that up and you weren't intending to pay for it, but but let me change your, your choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it can be done in a fun way. So I, I just really, really love that. And you're also, I just want to add one more question. You have a passion to work towards a future of human interaction free of harm. Uh-huh. What does that mean to you? Well, once you understand, you know, when you look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, once you understand that our very, very basic needs, and, and you mentioned this earlier about validation being one of them. So our very basic, basic needs is safety first, right? And then validation and then belonging. Those, those are the, what I call the triumvirate of, of our basic needs. Can you imagine if every interaction you had with other humans, you were safe, you felt you belonged, and that you were validated? If those three things happen all the time, we would never be harmed when we rubbed up against each other. Wouldn't that be beautiful? <laughs> we, wouldn't have a, we wouldn't have a mental health crisis. No, no. Yeah, safe, validated, and uh, know that you're in a psychologically good space with a good person who's likely Um, heart-centered. It would be Uh world-changing. I I compare Maslow's hierarchy of needs in my book. So another serendipitous moment with you, my my Uh virtual twin here. Okay, I'm going to switch gears and I'm going to ask you my fab four. These are just four fun questions to get to know who Christine is. And it's just top of mind, no thinking. So my first question, give us a word or a phrase that shows up daily in your leadership language. Oh, hmm. Okay. I I often just say, put your kindest, kindest self forward, you know, with a soft belly and a strong backbone. Oh, I love that. Love that. Okay, second question. Name a book you've read at any juncture of your life. What was the name of the book and the author, if you can remember, and why was it cha- life-changing for you? Okay, well, I started out my leadership career with the very traditional scarcity competition model of leadership, and it wasn't working very well. 
And then I read a book and I pulled it out. Um, Carol Lee Flinders wrote The Values of Belonging. Mm. And it just shifted everything for me because I realized, oh, this isn't the only way to lead. We actually can have, you know, inclusivity and mutuality, non-competition, sharing of resources. And, and in fact, a lot of us who are socialized female, that, that set of values is much more in keeping with how we've been socialized. You know, it's so interesting just in, I mean, the 20 minutes we've been chatting, there's three other women that I've had on the podcast that I'm absolutely going to connect you with. Mm. One does trauma work. Another mm. one did her PhD and her dissertation was on belonging within organizational leadership. And oh. the third one has done, is in the middle of her dissertation in Australia about inclusivity, accidental leadership, and do you see the the inner connectivity we have? I feel like the concierge on this show. Like I'm just here in the lobby saying, hey, Christine, what do you need? And where are you at in your leadership journey? And by the way, I'm going to introduce you to three other amazing females just from a few short questions. It's just, it's such meaningful conversation. I love it. Okay, third question. Let me give you a bit of context. I'm granting you a wish. Oh, and you get to have dinner with any leader. Now, this leader could be living or they could be passed away. Who are you having dinner with? And what is the dinner conversation? Um, wow, it would probably be Cheryl Strayed, who wrote yeah. um, that very powerful book about her her doing the Pacific Crest Trail on, on, on her own. I think it was called Wild. Yes, um, and Reese Witherspoon played her in the movie. Oh, yes, that's right. Um, Great Cheryl, book. Cheryl, Cheryl's book is like my personal Bible. I, I Every time I'm struggling with something, I read it and just her perseverance, her stick-to-itiveness and doing this thing she'd never done before and that she wasn't even physically prepared to do, right? Um, it just reminds me like, okay, yep, it's possible. <laughs> Well, and, and it, so it's that grit, that grit, tenacity that builds the emotional resilience. I mean, when I read your bio and what you've done, and I said to you, I felt a connection with you just from an emotional resilience point of view, because we can either stay in the valley or we can rise. And I, I want to continue to rise just like you've done. I think that would be a fun dinner, Christine. Wouldn't it? I yes. think it would. Let's just put that out there that Cheryl calls you. Okay. All right, I'm going to ask you to finish the show by finishing this sentence. Okay. Heart-centered leadership is? The future of our culture and our society. Like, we, we can't have either of those without heart-centered leadership. We've, we've gone as far as we can in scarcity, extraction, competition. And now it's time for something else. Thanks so much for joining me today on Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the show today and have learned some new tools for your leadership toolkit from our amazing Heart-Centered guest. If you like the show, feel free to give us a rating and a review, and we always welcome your feedback anytime. If you're ready to master the art of heart, my new book, The Heart-Centered Leadership Playbook, is now available on Amazon, or you can click the link below in our description.